We live in interesting times. We, I've had, I don't know about you, but if you're over the age of 40, uh, give or take, um, I've had young people come to me and say, have you ever seen anything like this? Uh, No, 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 I have not. You kind of watch our world and our society and our nation. And if you're paying attention at all, it's disturbing. It's, It's puzzling. It perhaps even frightening. Um, we watch our nation descend down this slope of immorality, and we've been, we've been at this for quite a while now. Uh, I think we really turned a corner back in the 60s and have not, not really kind of come back at all. But we're Americans, right? Um, we always expect there to be a good ending. You know, the the good guys wear white hats, and when the moment comes, you know, they're going to come riding in, and there's going to, someone's going to come rescue us. Uh, that may make a great American story, but the fact is that uh, we are actually citizens of another country. We're actually citizens of heaven. And when we read the scriptures, what we discover is that when the end times arrive, and are these the end times? Well, they're we're a day closer than we were yesterday. And when the end times arise, wickedness is going to increase and wax worse and worse. And when we look at Romans 1 and we look at the perspective of how it is that nations and peoples and cultures descend, we're at the bottom of that. We are, we are well on our way in that descent. So as believers, we need to take a deep breath and we need to, we need to get a longer term perspective here. When we engage in our society, and we should engage our society, huh? we should talk to folks, we, we should vote, we should pray, we should seek God's blessing on us. Um, but when it's all said and done, there's only so much that we can do about all that. The Supreme Court, just, just this week, has ruled that you can't actually tell the difference between men and women. I mean, they didn't actually say that, but they might as well have. Uh, it, it basically came down to, yeah, we, we can't really tell the difference between what makes a man a man and a woman a woman. And, oh, by the way, you better not either, because if you in any way discriminate about that, particularly in your hiring practices, then, I mean, the Supreme Court has now spoken. Um, do I find that distressing? Yeah, I find that quite distressing. Do I find that to be pretty ominous for our country and our nation? Well, sure, of course I do. Do I think that that's really helping us descend even quicker? Yep, sure do. What can I do about that? What can you do about that? The Supreme Court of the land has spoken. I mean, the fact is we need to take a biblical approach to these things. And here's the biblical approach. The world acts like the world. That's how the world is. That's how the world acts. We are believers, and we need to maintain a biblical standard. But the world? Well, the world is going to do what the world is going to do. Listen to what Paul has to say, 1 Corinthians 5, 9. He said, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, the church at Corinth. I didn't at all mean with the immoral people of this world or with the covetous or swindlers or idolaters, for then you'd have to go out of the world. 
But actually, I wrote to you not to associate with any so-called brother if he should be an immoral person or covetous or an idolater or a reviler or a drunkard or a swindler. Don't even eat with such a one. For what if I have to, what have I to do with judging outsiders? Do you not judge those within the church? But those who are outside, God judges. Paul will go on and write to the church at Corinth in his next letter to them, 2 Corinthians 5.17. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. New things have come. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As through God, as though God were entreating through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Is our world entering into insanity? Are we watching our nation descend into just like, I can't believe it? Uh, yeah, yeah, they are. What's our job? We are ambassadors of peace and reconciliation. We are to be the sane voices speaking into our culture and into our society. We should not be the people getting on social media or some other place and firing off inflammatory words that only stir up. It's not our job to write scathing things that condemn and criticize the world and, oh, you bunch of rotten sinners. Um, that's not our ministry. That's, that's not what we were called to. That's, that's not the calling of God on our lives. We are people who should go out and seek people to reconcile. They need to reconcile with God. We need to preach the peace of God. It's only going to get worse, by the way. The weapon of our warfare is not anger. The weapon of our warfare is, is not condemnation, judgmentalism, standing on our high moral horse and, and pointing fingers and condemning all those wicked sinners out there. That, that's not, we're called to that. We're called to convey to the world that there can be forgiveness. And we speak to them about the God who so loved the world that he gave his only son, his only son, to die because he so loved the world. I can't do anything about what the Supreme Court decided or didn't or what. I, I, I can't do anything about that. But you know what I can do? I can preach the gospel. I can lead a godly life. I can disciple people. I can talk to people about what the word of God has to say. I can speak about how God is the father of all mankind. And that there are not multiple races in the world. There's only one race. The human race. And we are all members of it. And by the way, we're all guilty. Every single one of us is a sinner. And guess what? God 
loves sinners. The gospel is for every nation, tribe, tongue. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where in this world you were born, where in this world you came from, or where in the world you think you're going. The fact is the gospel is for you. And reconciliation can be yours. There are, there are questions that our, that our society asks and questions that, that they might like answers to. And, and the fact is that we as a society have come to the place where we, we, we can come up with answers to questions that nobody even thought of, you know, even a couple of hundred years ago. You know, science and technology and, and all of those things are great. And, and I think true science practiced correctly, will uncover the wisdom and the knowledge and the the incredible creativity of God. But you know, there's more important questions than just what scientific questions might ask. Politics, it's it's interesting, how how to govern, how to govern righteously and justly, and how to do justice for everyone in a complex society and a a changing society and nation, and, and how to do what is fair. And, and how to set out to be a just and righteous society. God has a lot to say about that, and it's important. But there are things that are more important. There, there are things more important than simply gathering up a little more knowledge or, or even figuring out how to have a just and fair society, although it's a great thing. But there's more. There are more important questions that we ought to ask. In fact, there is one question that is the most important question that you can possibly ask in this world. It's more important than anything. And it's the question that Jesus is asked in today's passage. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. A lawyer stood up and putting Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? That is the question that matters. All those other questions... Um, sure, you know, it would be, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could eliminate poverty? Wouldn't it be fantastic if we could just cure all disease and, and feed everyone who's hungry? It'd be great if we could do that in this world. But if we do that and we don't answer this question, then all you end up with are a bunch of healthy, wealthy, well-fed people on their way to a godless eternity. This is the question. Colonize Mars. Sure, great. You know, send a crew of folks, you know, 50 people up there to Mars. Make a bunch of Martians, you know. Okay, that's good, you know. Send people out, you know, mine the asteroids. I don't, you know, whatever kind of great technological goal you think we should strive for. Oh, sure, okay. But you know what? If you don't know how to inherit eternal life, none of that is going to get you in eternity. That this is the question that matters above all other questions. This is the question. This is the one that makes the difference. If you don't know how to go about getting eternal life, then it doesn't really matter what else you do. It doesn't matter what else you know. It doesn't matter how accomplished you are or how many letters you have after your name or any of those things. All of those things are irrelevant if you don't know how to inherit eternal life. So this lawyer stands up and he asks Jesus this question. Now, 
Note that at the time, in the first century, a lawyer in Israel is not going to be like we think of a lawyer. A lawyer in Israel would be an expert in only one law, the law of Moses. That's it. There's no other law. I mean, there's no, it's not like he's into, and the world knows what. We've got many branches of law these days. Uh, This is the law of Moses. And so this lawyer completely understands the law of Moses. I mean, you have to understand in the first century, these people, I mean, we think we know what fanaticism is, and there are people who are pretty fanatic. The folks in first century Judaism, they would memorize the first five books of Moses. I mean, just crack open Leviticus sometime and think about trying to memorize it. I mean, just just make a go of that. Uh, You know, look at numbers and start thinking about actually memorizing. Have you read numbers lately? You know, it's... It's a bunch of numbers. It, it, it goes down through all the children of Israel and where they came out of the wilderness and who is who and who, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the son of... Could you imagine memorizing that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are people who memorize it. Yeah. These are folks who really understood. They didn't just read the book of Leviticus once every five years because they feel like they really had to. These are people who memorized the book of Leviticus who ate, slept, drank, lived it, got up in the morning thinking about how to live it better and went to bed at night dreaming about how to live it better. This is the guy who came to Jesus and said, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, when you think about the law of Moses, when you, when you think about all the things that it covered, I mean, the law of Moses, I couldn't just, Okay, it talked about the clothing you should wear. Don't wear wool and linen. Don't plant your seeds in your fields. Don't plant two kinds of seeds. This field has this seed. This field has this seed. Don't intermix them. How to take care of your livestock. How to celebrate the holidays. How to say what the holidays were. What sacrifices to bring and when to bring them. And, and how to deal with illness or disease. How, how to pretty much do absolutely everything in life. The law of Moses was given to make Israel a unique nation right down to the clothes you wore and, and the food you ate. It, it just regulated it all. So you would think, particularly since they refined the law of Moses down to 613 specific commandments, you would think that they could kind of go, okay, <clears throat> here's how you do the law of Moses. This is, this is how you inherit eternal life. Just do the law of Moses. I mean, you'd think that'd be the answer and that we wouldn't have to keep asking the question. But the fact is, even they realized, I can't keep them all. I mean, I just can't do it. Even though I've got them identified, and even though I'm really working hard at this, anyone who's being honest knows that no one's perfect. It just, no one's perfect. So, this question naturally arose. How do we know that we're going to inherit eternal life? How do we know? And so they debated it. You can imagine the scribes and the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they all sat around and debated, how in the world do we go about knowing that we have eternal life? Maybe not the Sadducees. I'm not sure they actually believed in the afterlife, but the scribes and the Pharisees certainly did. And the priests. Jesus is asked this question we just read over there in the passage we just read. Jesus is also asked on occasion, what is the greatest commandment? He's asked, shall we pay taxes to Rome? He's asked, shall a man divorce his wife for any cause or just a few causes? These kinds of questions were huge, big questions that lots of people asked, and there were big camps on either side. And, of course, they came to Jesus 
to try to trap him. That's exactly what the passage says here this morning. This lawyer stands up and tests Jesus to see what kind of answer he's going to give. Assuming that whatever answer Jesus gives, well, he's going to alienate somebody. That's what they're hoping. Surely he'll alienate somebody because we all know that there's a couple of different opinions here. He's got to come down on one side or the other. I mean, you know, you can't. You can't avoid it. That's what they keep thinking. They keep thinking, ah, now we've got him. And, of course, they, they never do. And we're not even going to get into his answer, by the way, this morning. So in case you're waiting for that, it's not till next week. So they come and they try to trap Jesus. Here's an interesting thing to observe about this passage, which, by the way, is why we're not going to get to the answer, because I want you to stop and think about this for a second. Think about his question. What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? Now, just stop, because we read that. What do I have to do to get eternal life? But that's not what he says. He says, what do I have to do to inherit eternal life? When is the last time you preached the gospel to someone and said to them, you know, this is what you need to do to inherit eternal life? How often do you include the word inherit in your gospel presentation? How often do you talk about the unsaved, about your inheritance? We tend to not include the concept of inheritance into our gospel presentation. Now, we all sing the song, you know, we're joint heirs with Jesus as we travel this side, you know, and glad to be a part of the family of God. But that's generally not actually part of our gospel presentation. Among other things, how do I go about getting an inheritance? I mean, Bill Gates, he's, you know, the classic billionaire out there, right? Wouldn't you love to get part of Bill Gates' inheritance? Well, you know, the only way to do that is to somehow be related to Bill Gates. And if you're not, well, you're not. So how do you get an inheritance? The only way to get an inheritance is either get adopted or be born into the family. And if you're not, well, oh well. And yet this is the exact term that God uses. Not just this guy. The lawyer doesn't just dream this up out of nowhere. The fact is that I want us to look this morning about the issue of our inheritance with God. I I want us to just kind of chew on this for a minute. You know, the gospel is like this brilliant gem that that has been caught and has multiple facets to it. And, And as you And just spin it around and look at it. I mean, it just glows everywhere. The concept of inheritance is a facet we should stare at for just a moment here and see that this is actually a marvelous, marvelous concept with the gospel of which we preach. So going back, go back to the, where did this lawyer come up with this? Where Where did he get this idea from? When we go back into our Old Testament and we look, what we see is that God makes this promise to Abraham. I want you to leave her the Chaldees. I want you to go over to the promised land. I'm going to give it to you, the land, to you and your descendants as an inheritance. Okay, so here we go right off. Abraham was the father of our faith as well as of the Jews. Abraham, the great father of faith, one of the first things that he's promised is this inheritance. But 
leave your land where you're at and go to the land of promise. Joshua divides the land up amongst the 12 tribes, spreads them out. That's why they keep the genealogies, by the way, just so that everyone knows who owns what. The land is divided up. To make it really simple, every 50 years, you're supposed to return it all to the people it originally goes to so that we don't lose track of who owns what. And if you've you know, sold off your land and you're in huge debt, well, when the 50 years is up, you get your land back. And if you're still in huge debt, well, you can sell it again. In 50 years, it'll come back. Every 50 years, it's supposed to come back. So this is the inheritance. This is what you have. But as you actually read your Old Testament, what you will discover is that there is a clear intermingling of the land and the people. It's not just the land that is the inheritance of God. Come to find out the people are also. It's not like God actually needs to own a piece of real estate, right? God owns the whole world. The the people and the the land, the people in the land. So Deuteronomy 9.26. Deuteronomy, Moses, we're back here. I prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord God, do not destroy your people, even your inheritance whom you have redeemed through your greatness, whom you have brought out of Egypt with a mighty hand. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Don't look at the stubbornness of the people or the wickedness of their sins. Otherwise, the land from which you have brought us may say, well, because the Lord was not able to bring them into the land which he had promised them. And because he hated them, he brought them out into the wilderness to slay them. Yet they are your people even your inheritance, whom you have brought out by your great power and your outstretched arm. That's Moses. Moses is referring to the people of God as the inheritance of God. The people of God are the inheritance of God. Connect that concept. Get that concept because it follows all through the Old Testament. If you start looking, you realize it's out there. Second Kings 21.14. I will abandon the remnant of my Inheritance, this is God, in judgment. I'm going to abandon the remnant of my inheritance and deliver them into the hands of their enemies. They become plunder and spoil to all their enemies. The people of my inheritance. Isaiah 19.25, whom the Lord of hosts has blessed, saying, Blessed is Egypt, my people. This is in the end times. Blessed is Egypt, my people, Assyria, the work of my hands, and Israel, my inheritance. Jeremiah says in 10.16, the portion of Jacob is not like these, for the maker, God, the maker of all is he, and Israel, the tribe of his inheritance. God has chosen the people to be his inheritance. So yes, the people inherit the land, but it's the people that are actually the inheritance. The inheritance is the people of God. So When we get to like Abraham and we look at him and we look in Hebrews, Hebrews says that by faith Abraham, when he was called, he obeyed, going out of the place which he was to receive uh, as an inheritance. But he went out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he lives in the alien in the land of promise, in this foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. But he was actually looking for the city which has foundations whose architect and builder is God. He's actually looking for the true promised land. 
He's actually looking to get the eternal inheritance. Abraham, the father of our faith, yeah, he's over there in the geographical place of Israel. But really what's going on is he's actually looking for the final city, the city of God, the ultimate inheritance, which you remember when the rich man dies and lifts up his eyes being in Gehenna, and Lazarus dies and arrives in Abraham's bosom. He arrives in you know, the city of God. That's where he is. That's because Abraham is the father of our faith. And the ultimate inheritance is where the children of God go. So when the guy gets up and he asks this question, just like in the old covenant, which, by the way, at the time he asked the question, they're still in the Old Covenant, to simply have the land. I mean, it was great, right? Israel had the land. They lived in the land. There they were. At the time he asked this question, they're still living in the land. But the fact is, you die. You leave the land. David is dead, and Solomon is dead, and Isaiah is dead, and, you know, they all died, and, well, here's the land. It's still here. Isn't it? There's clearly more going on here. Yes. Yes, in fact, there is. Jesus will speak to this when he starts talking. Matthew 25, 34, at the end. Then the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Jesus will speak in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 10, blessed are those who have been persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven and the kingdom on earth are the same kingdom. The kingdom of God, we are members of the kingdom of God. James 2.5, listen, my beloved brethren, did not God choose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom, which he promised to those who love him? We are heirs of the kingdom. The exact same gospel and the old covenant, they believed in the Messiah who was coming. They believed that God was going to provide a deliverer. We believe in the Messiah who has come. We believe God has provided the deliverer. They entered into the kingdom of God. We enter into the kingdom of God. And how do we get there? The New Testament expands on this. The term Jesus is going to use is born again. How do you get into the family of God? Well, you're born again. And when you're born again, suddenly you get the inheritance of God. When this guy stands up and says to Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That is a marvelous question. Well, I don't know. How do you inherit eternal life? Let's just stop and think about this for a second. I think how that would actually work is you'd have to become a son of God, right? How else are you going to get the inheritance of God? Inheritance is... Go to the children of God. So if you're not a child of God, if you're not one of the sons of God, then you're not going to get the inheritance. Now, we'll get into how that question actually gets answered next week, but it's important to recognize the, this is a, actually a pretty interesting question. Can you be born again in the Old Testament? Well, of course you can. You become a child of God through faith. What, you're like, well, wait a minute, I'm a child of Abraham. I, you know, the Jews can actually say, I'm literally a descendant of Abraham. Doesn't that make me a child of God? 
Remember what the answer to that question was, right? <clears throat> God can of these stones raise up children unto Abraham if he was so inclined. That the whole point of Romans 9, when you actually get around to reading that, the whole point is that Abraham had a variety of descendants. Jacob was a chosen one of the descendants. Esau wasn't. Not all the descendants. Just because you're a descendant of Abraham, that doesn't automatically make you part of the kingdom of God. It doesn't automatically make you a child of God. Completely true in the Old Testament. Completely true in the New Testament. So, we listen to what Paul says. Paul writes to the church of Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't be deceived, right? And he goes through the list. Fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, effeminate, homosexuals. I mean, he goes down to the list. These folks are not going to inherit the kingdom of God. He goes on in 1 Corinthians 15. Now I say this, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. The perishable does not inherit the imperishable. The only way you're going to get the inheritance of God is if you are born again and resurrected. This perishable must put on imperishable, which, by the way, it will. He tells the, current, the, the Galatians the same thing, right? He goes through that list of, list of sins, you know, the, those who envy or are drunk or carousing and things like these. I, I forewarned you that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. The inheritance of the kingdom of God is to the children of God, and we are the children of God, those who believe. We don't get the land not yet. What we get is the kingdom. There are other things, by the way, that we inherit. Matthew 19, 29, we inherit eternal life. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or farms for my sake will receive many times as much and will inherit eternal life. So that being justified by his grace, we might be made Heirs, according to the hope of eternal life. Titus, right? We are the heirs. We inherit salvation. Hebrews 1.14, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Inherit eternal life? We get the inheritance of God. This is the gospel. The gospel is God has this enormous treasure that he wants us to share with him. We are, like the song says, joint heirs with Jesus. We should preach this all the time. Speak to your lost friends and co-workers. Speak to them about the inheritance because, by the way, they can get in on this inheritance too. This inheritance is available to anyone. We inherit blessings. 1 Peter 3.9, don't return evil for evil or insult for insult, but give a blessing instead, for you were called for this very purpose that you might inherit a blessing. We inherit the blessing of God. I won't preach last week's sermon, but all this great stuff we have all this marvelous life that we all lead, lives that would make Solomon jealous, that blessing all comes from God. 
He is blessing us with that. The ultimate fulfillment, by the way, of this inheritance, we find it in the last book of the Bible. When, when it's all done, when it's all over and we actually get a look at, God is going to give us a glimpse of what's awaiting us. This is why this question is so essential. There's only two destinations when you pass out of this life. You either go into the eternal blessing and great glory and inheritance that God has prepared for us, or you fall into the eternal judgment of God. That's it. There's no third place. We as believers need to think about where it is we're going to spend eternity so that we can go forth into the world in which we live and we can, we can share with them. We can, we can go with them even though the world is launched into insanity, even though we're watching our own society unable to stand up and publicly state that you believe men are men and women are women and that's it. <gasps> As if, somehow, that's controversial. That's the world in which we live. We better speak up, and we better speak truth. Because I don't care what anyone thinks. One day they will stand before God, and they will answer to him. And we do our world no favor if we don't speak truth to them. Kindly, graciously, speak of the inheritance, speak of the blessing, speak about the great things that God is doing. We don't, the ministry of reconciliation is ours. Get the world to reconcile. Kind, compassionate, having, having a compassion on the lost, sharing with them. Of, of course they're confused. They're blinded by the God of this world. Pray that God will open their eyes. And then stop and think about eternity and where we're going to spend it. Just listen to this. I'm not going to read all of these verses. I'm not going to read all of Revelation 21, but, but some of it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. This is why we can inherit. Our inheritance is on the new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. This is the moment, the unveiling. This, this is it. At the end, at the last, after the great white throne judgment, a new heaven and a new earth and the new Jerusalem, which God is, at this moment, preparing. Personally, I don't think anybody's lived in the new heaven yet. I don't, nobody's got there yet. This, I don't think this event has come to pass yet. This occurs after the great white throne judgment. And I heard a voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. Inheritance. They will be his people. We will be God's people. And God himself will be among them. God will live among us. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death, and there will no longer be any sorrow or mourning, or crying, or pain, for those things have passed away. He who sits on the throne says, Behold, I make all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. 
I am the Alpha and the Omega. It is done, the beginning and the end. I give to those who thirst the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things. And I will be his God and he will be my son. And of course, one of the angels comes and he sees the the city coming down out of heaven. And it has the, the 12 gates, each one made of a single pearl, with the names of the 12 tribes and the 12 foundations, with the 12 apostles of the Lamb. The city was like... The streets were gold, pure gold, transparent like glass. No temple. Doesn't need a temple. God himself dwells there. The Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. It has no need of the sun or the moon because the city is lit up by the glory of God. This is our eternal home. This is our inheritance. It's got room for anybody who wants to go. Anybody who wants to go. This is the gospel. This is the message. This is the hope that we bring the world. This is the reality, and this is the gospel that we need to preach. If you haven't included inheritance in your gospel, I I pray God will give you insight as to how to weave that into your gospel presentation. It may be the very thing that opens people's eyes, that draws them to God. This is how you go about inheriting eternal life, and you want to inherit eternal life. You want to be part of the family of God so that you get the blessing and the inheritance of God. It's enough to share with everyone. Everyone's welcome. Come. You're thirsty? Come. You want forgiveness? It's there. You want to share in the blessing of God? It's available. This is the gospel. And it's a great question the guy asked Jesus. I'm glad he asked it. Let's pray. Lord, we are unworthy of the kingdom. The whole point of the gospel is that it's sinners. We need only come to you and repent of our sin and seek your forgiveness and you will give it and you will adopt us into your family as undeserving as we are. Lord, I pray that we would incorporate this into our gospel, that you would open the eyes and the heart of anyone listening who has not yet come to you and repented of their sin and sought your forgiveness, may you open their eyes. May they be drawn to the great and marvelous and wonderful riches and to all of those things that we can inherit if we will simply come to you as the creator God. Help us to serve you well, Lord. In these crazy times, may we be faithful to you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.